1: Hi from Buffalo. I'm Polish, but you don't have to be to enjoy a trip to Missourix on South Park Avenue in Buffalo's First Ward neighborhood. Remember when people bought baked goods at a neighborhood bakery? For 81 years, Mazurek's has offered amazing breads, apple crisps, all sorts of baked incredibles, and of course, krushtiki. Go, you won't regret it, and only in Buffalo, I'm Peter Sabota. In this episode, Dr. Mimi Abramovitz continues her discussion of the rise of new public management and the privatization of human services. She describes the application of new public management's business model and the marketization, managerialism, and the financialization of human service organizations' activities. Dr. Abramovitz concludes by discussing her research of the impact of new public management on the persons in the front lines of human service agencies. Dr. Mimi Abramovitz is the Bertha Capen Reynolds Professor of Social Work at the Silberman School of Social Work at Hunter College and the City University of New York Graduate Center. Her research interests include women, work, poverty, and social welfare policy. Her research has appeared in major academic journals within and outside of social work, as well as in the popular press, including the New York Times, Washington Post, Ms. Magazine's Women's Review of Books, and Women's E-News. Dr. Abramovitz is the recipient of numerous awards for her overall contributions to social work and social policy and has been inducted into the Columbia School of Social Work Hall of Fame. Dr. Abramovitz was interviewed in June of 2014 by our own Dr. Uksu Kim, associate professor here at the UB School of Social Work.
2: So, what exactly do you mean by new public management? Okay, so new
0: public management actually does fit into all of this, and what we've been talking about is background for that. So, it wasn't a real digression, but we digressed even so. Remember I said one of the five strategies of Reaganomics or neoliberalism was privatization. And I'm particularly interested in that strategy. So new public management or this bringing the business model into social services or managerialism, has these different names, is the way that privatization is showing up, is being operationalized on the front lines or the ground floor of human services. I started to think it in the past, I sort of wrote about welfare reform, I wrote about sort of the big picture issues, and then I told you, I started hearing all these stories about what was going on, and so then I began to link it to privatization, and I said, okay, now how do you operationalize? What does privatization look like in the social work? We know what it looks like in big policies, but now we're into the agency work, agency administration. What does privatization look like? So in order to think about this, my colleague and I, Jennifer Zelnick, have come up with three phases of privatization, which we haven't seen analyzed as a single trend. I'll just mention them, but we haven't seen them discussed in this way. I'll mention them briefly because I actually find them kind of interesting. So the first one is called marketization. And this is where you use uh, social programs to channel people into the market. So you had social security, unemployment, all the cash assistance programs gave people money and turned them into consumers. So they could go buy food and pay their rent and buy clothing, but they bought it in the private market like everybody does. So there was a marketization aspect of the welfare state. It was like subsidies to private landlords and subsidies to private uh, grocery stores, so to speak. But that's common, we expect that all the time. But it increased consumption also. The other thing we did, especially in New York, I don't know if it was done in New York City, is we started contracting out this provision of services to nonprofit agents, social agencies.
2: It happens here too.
0: Yeah. It happens upstate too, and so, and that's a way of basically, it's a kind of a marketization. We take the government money, we substitute, we give the nonprofit agencies money so they will deliver the services. So the services delivered through the marketplace instead of. In England, when they used to have a national health service and people came to government offices to get their health care or their social services and so on. So marketization, there's a lot there, but those are two trends. And that really was from the 30s to the 60s, that sort of predominated. Then starting with maybe in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it's hard to pinpoint this exactly, but we start get this managerialism on new public management, which is where we're at today which I said is bringing the business model into the human services. We're bringing things like, and I'll say more about this in a minute or two, but we things like mean and lean production. They actually took the auto companies' models of production and, and adapted them to human services. And I say they, it, was, it wasn't one person, it wasn't a group, it just happened, it evolved. So increase in productivity, increase in quantification, documentation, but especially... Funding human service agencies based on outcomes as opposed to inputs that is they used to get funded but They would apply to the government or you'd apply to a private foundation They give you money to do something to give them a report now you have to show You have to have outcome measures before you'll get your money and they tell you very often the funders tell you What the outcome should be so there's been some loss of autonomy here also, so that's one of the consequences but that's what I mean by bringing the business model, sort of business principles and ideas into the human services. Another example of that is, at least in New York City, more and more human service agencies' boards are picking MBAs, people with masters in business, or lawyers to be the directors of the agencies instead of social workers. So, what's going on here is a question that we should be asking ourselves some of the schools have been responding by creating trying to develop higher level skills among social administrative skills so organization management leadership programs we'll have to see if they accept social workers even with the skills over mbas and lawyers who most boards think have better access to money that they're looking for so that's an interesting change that's being taken place that's another example the third phrase we've labeled financialization this is starting to come but it's roaring in really fast so this is where you turn uh, social services into an investment opportunity and you bring investment principles in things like social enterprise social impact bonds pay for success there are all sorts of names too but basically the general model and we're still really trying to figure out what this is is that well I'll give you an example in New York when Bloomberg was mayor he set up a program to reduce recidivism in Rikers Island, one of the main jails in New York City. So he brought in Goldman Sachs, which is a brokerage house. To, and Goldman Sachs floated the bond, and people would invest in a program that was managed, not by them, but by, by more of a social agency. And then they set a bunch of metrics about what they had to accomplish in terms of reducing recidivism. And if they met their goals, they spent less money, and so the people who invested, the bondholders, got a return on their investment, which we used to call a profit, there are variations on the theme. Now, the other thing that Bloomberg did, which was kind of interesting, you know, the basic market principle is you invest and you take a risk. You win or lose, you know, let the chips fall where they may. But Bloomberg, as I understand it, promised Goldman Sachs that his private foundation would bail them out if they lost money. So the home market risk behind financialization is, that's just one story, that's just a comment about New York City. but. But this is happening all over the country, and it's happening in other countries, too. And the reason we call it the financialization is that that's a word that's not being used like new public management. The reason we call it the financialization is because it's happening at the same time that there's been a huge shift in the economy, in probably all Western industrial, but certainly in the United States, where it used to be that most of the profits came from manufacturing, right, in the United States. Now, most of the profits are coming from the financial institutions. So the whole economy has been financialized. So we figured this has happening at the same time that the economy is becoming financialized. So we just picked that name.
2: That's very, very interesting. Now that you have told me about the larger picture, could you tell me more about the specifics of your research projects? Yeah, so we really
0: had to figure all this out, all these things we've been talking about. really had to figure this out before we could even embark on the research, because, you know, we're not economists. We're both public policy, social work, faculty. We knew a lot about this, but we had to put it together in our mind. So we wanted to find out more about the impact of managerialism on human services. As I said, there's been a lot of anecdotal evidence that these changes were going on and they continue to do so. But there were really different opinions about the value and impact of these changes. Some people said, these are great, Some people said, oh my, they're terrible. I don't like working in social work anymore. Some people said, yes, now we really know what we're doing. So it's a debate. So we said, why don't we go to the front lines and see what the frontline workers are doing? Find out in a systematic way, not anecdotals. And so we developed a survey. It's an electronic survey, and the subject line is, your voice is needed, the human service workforce study. So that was the beginning piece. It's sort of like what we talked about in the beginning, what got us interested in this. So people complete the survey through website? Yeah, so what we did to get ourselves going, that was actually the last step, what we did, first we did all this reading on NPM that I told you about. And then we also conducted a couple of focus groups. We conducted a focus group with members of New York City chapter of NASW, who become one of our partners in this research project. And we also conducted a focus group with the members of the union delegates of Local 371, the Social Service Employees Union, who was another one of our partners in this research project. And I want to say something about the partners in a few minutes because that's really interesting. And Local 371 is the public sector and it represents the Human Resources Administration or the social workers who provide TANF benefits and child welfare benefits and and things like that. We said we have to, you know, like good researchers, we said you got to talk to people on the front lines before we assume what they think or what we should do. And then we created this electronic survey. We found out that most of the agencies now could access their staff electronically. They could email them. So this is an email. You either access the survey by going to a website that has a link to the survey or sending the link to people by email. So we used a new system in City University of New York, where I work at Hunter, it's called Qualtrics. Before that, I'd been using SurveyMonkey, which I think a lot more people are familiar with, but it's exactly the same idea. So sometimes we reach people directly using e-blasts. So like NASW New York City sent an e-blast to their members. Other people, they let their people know that it was on their website. And we made really sure that the survey was totally anonymous, for individuals and no agencies were identified because we thought people might be uncomfortable talking about what's going on in their agency, which is what the uh, it talked about. And so we really spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, what does it mean? How do we ask people questions that will give us some um, answers to the operationalization of privatization? Big words, you know, and big concepts. So it took really a really long time to do that. We piloted it, we tested it out, We're conducting it, I guess we could say, through an electronic survey. There are a few places that didn't want to do or couldn't do an electronic survey, so we also have some hard copies that people want to actually take them and fill them out. I'm really happy to say, but I was really pleasantly surprised that the major human service organizations wanted to be our partners. So who do I mean by this? This is the Human Service Council, which represents the big federations, Protestant Federation and all of them a lot of big agencies that themselves are made up of a lot of agencies and Human Service Council lobbies for them okay so Human Service Council said they would help us spread the word by distributing it to their member agencies I said New York City chapter of NASW it's one of the biggest chapters in the country sent it out to their membership the third one was United Neighborhood House United Neighborhood House represents 38 different settlement houses and community development agencies So they were willing to send it out. Then there's another group called the Behavioral Health Coalition, which represents mental health and substance abuse. And they are helping us send it out. And then I mentioned Local 371, the Service Employee Union. So these people signed on. To me, two years ago, when I was talking about some of these problems that were going on, I said, oh, it would be interesting to research this. They rolled their eyes. Something happened they're feeling a crisis. I said to one meeting of some of these agency heads, I said, well, you know, I was trying to get a conversation going, and I said, well, there's a sea change going on in agencies, isn't there? One person said, now, wait a minute, it's not a sea change. Something, oh, he's going to say, it's less. He said, it's a tsunami. So I think the agencies are really feeling it, and I think the workers are too. Then the final thing that happened that really pleased us There's a newspaper, it's a free handout newspaper called the New York Nonprofit Press. Actually, it's all statewide. It it may be upstate and downstate. And they put out a monthly hard copy and daily electronic copies. They heard about us and they called us and said, do you have a media sponsor? And we said, what's that? Who ever heard of a research project having a media sponsor? So we said, what's that? And they said, well, we would write stories about you and if we could get a little advance on some of your findings so they in february 27th when we launched it they featured us in a really lovely story and then when we reached a high water mark a halfway point and uh, what we want a uh, number of surveys we want they wrote a second story they've been carrying a permanent link on their website and on the newsletter to this study so people just can go there Anyone wants to fill out the study who's in the listening audience right now can just go to the New York non- Nonprofit Press website and uh, you'll see a link to the study and you can just fill it up. Because it's actually because the New York Nonprofit Press has been involved, people from all over the state are filling out. It's mostly New York City, but we are getting people from other parts of the state. So if people from other parts of the state, if we get enough of them, we can analyze it kind of separately from New York. So feel free if anyone's listening, you want to do that. A little plug. I don't have an 800 number like the politicians do, but I can send you to a website. And so what they did is they sent this link out through their organizations. One of the problems we faced was that we were dealing with the agency heads who were very supportive and sympathetic, but as they said, people don't always answer their emails. So they were sending their emails to program directors, program directors to the front line. So there's always a loss in terms of how many people actually see the survey. So we've asked them, I call it the top-down problem, but so we've asked them, and they have sent it out several times.
2: That's great to have support from partners, and I can see that you are responding to their needs by doing this research. Well, I, I think that's what started to happen, but
0: it took a long time for them to feel the need enough to because you know practitioners and agency directors are so busy trying to just keep their organizations running. Research feels like it's an extra, but now they have really gotten into it. And I think maybe another reason is that everything is evidence-based now. And that's one of the things this research is about, the role of evidence-based practice in the human service delivery, its impact. But maybe they've gotten more used to having to produce data, and they know they can't make any arguments without data. So all of a sudden, there's a wish for
2: data. So
0: I think it was good timing that we are doing this at this time.
2: That's very interesting. So do you have any preliminary results out of uh, your focus groups or the current
0: study? We we really haven't analyzed it yet. I can say a little bit about it. So, So we launched it in the end of February. It's about four months, and we have over 1,700 completed surveys.
2: And if you've done social science research, you know that's huge. That is huge. So I can see the people's need, the people wanted to complete this survey. Absolutely, and that's what we felt. We want to go at 3,000, so we're
0: over a halfway mark. But that's exactly what, you hit the nail on the head because a couple of things pointed that out to us. One, the large number of returns in a short amount of time. Second, Qualtrics gives you some metrics. We get our own metrics. And they show you how many people are completing how many questions. 80 to 90% are completing all the questions, almost all the questions this takes a half hour to fill out. There must be about a hundred questions. They're all short answer, you know, check questions. So all the questions are being filled out. If you know you've done this research, half the time they come back incomplete. And then the third thing is we leave space for comments. We're getting comments like paragraphs long. So people are taking time to write comments. So I think people are like these frontline workers who nobody asks them their opinion, and we need their opinion to figure out what's going on. But some of them are hurting and or concerns and we feel like we hit a nerve if they really want to say something.
2: What is your timeline? When do you think you're gonna finish your data collection and analyze it so that we can see the results? Right.
0: Well we began by saying we keep the survey open for six months. But we'd like to get three thousand. We could have had the people who are willing the low hanging fruit as people say now, so it's gonna be a little tougher to get the next twelve hundred. So maybe in another month, we'll have 1,800. We're going to see if we can make one more big push, getting everybody to send it out again. We've been also giving out flyers so that at meetings, people give flyers, that has the website on it. So, and it's very interesting because you can watch, Qualtrics tells you the dates. If we know someone did an e-blast, we can see a surge right after that. This little bar chart gets longer. So we don't really have any findings. But Qualtrics does also let you do a little analysis. So We've been looking at the demographics we're curious who's studying it so we've really been eyeballing we really haven't done it systematically but most of the people i'd say 75 to 80 percent of the respondents are women which is characteristic of the field right but i think we have more people of color than is characteristic of the field so we have i think the last i looked at it was like 40 percent people of color 60 percent whites so that is i don't think surveys Capture that. So I think that represents who's on the front lines in social work and particularly in the public sector. We have two other unions that sent out that represent. HRA is represented by three different unions and all three of them have sent out eBlast. So we're very happy about that. We seem to have fairly good union representation, maybe 20, 25% of the service. People said they were union members, some probably from the unions that. Our partners, but some are just union members, because there are other unions in the nonprofit sector has some unions, it's not a big force there, but they are. And it seems to be a nice spread, we don't ask what the agency is, but we ask what sector. So we seem to have a, a nice spread between the different sectors, and our hypothesis is that it doesn't matter what sector you're in, the same things are going on, in different forms but the same forces, the, this NPM is showing up in different ways in different places. And that the way our questions are formed, we ask people for most of the questions, do you think what we ask you about is a major problem, a minor problem, not a problem at all, One doesn't happen here? So we've tried to make it really objective. So maybe people will tell us they like this. So we want to know what what people think. And so the kind of questions that they're responding to with these kind of answers are, so we have a a section on service provision, what's going on? Does the computer get in the way between you and your client? Is your agency having to work with fewer staff? Has anything happened to the hours that you work? Are you starting to charge fees when you didn't before, I mean, I don't have the questions in front of me, but so those are some of the ways we operationalize it. We also asked about changes in working conditions, because this is reorganizing the way work is being conducted in agencies. So in terms of time, in terms of who gets to do work, and also, for example, are they using more or fewer credentials? What's happening to social work as people are trying to save money? Are they hiring more BSWs and fewer MSWs? Are MSWs being supervisors? And so this is another big change that's taking place. We also asked about practice. Well, how is it interfering with the practice relationships? So what's happening to services, working conditions, practice? And then we have a few other questions about workplace violence and some stress measures, and then the standard demographics. So we haven't analyzed all those, but you can see, we figure we have years of data analysis work to do but we're very, very excited about this and the response we're getting.
2: I think it is a very interesting and exciting project, and thank you for sharing with us your exciting project and also the new concept for most of us, new public management. And I think you explained the historical background of new public management and also the concept of it. And as a closing remark, why should social workers be concerned about this topic? What is the practical implication of this study and this concept? Could you speak to that? Yeah, well, I
0: think that's really an interesting question for me to think about and what we've thought about all along. We hope that social workers are concerned. We feel that they are because of what the evidence is. But one of the things is that our profession, like most professions, we study major policies, right? Welfare reform affordable health care, gentrification. We study trends like gentrification. We study our clients. How are they doing? How are they responding to our services? But we rarely study ourselves. So this is a workforce study. And so we feel like one reason that social workers should be concerned about it because it's time to study ourselves. We are being deeply affected and challenged by these new way of organizing services. So that's one reason it's time. It's been a mistake not to study ourselves. First of all, by studying ourselves, instead of remaining invisible in the stories that are told and the policy decisions that are made, it renders our take, this way we put our take on these emerging service trends and service provision. We make our take, our understanding of a it visible. It's because if we don't do this, we remain invisible. We've been invisible because one, we don't volunteer so much, second, no one asks us for our input. How often do policymakers come into the front door of an agency, hmm, what are you doing? How is our policy affecting you and the work you do? What do you think should be going on? So this is really meant to give frontline workers a chance to provide that input and maybe even exert some influence on how best to structure services so they will no longer be made without their input. And we don't have to just be reactive. This should give us some evidence, data, hard data, to take a leadership role. We often find ourselves reacting, but with this data we can actually get in front of the curve. We can start to say, 3,000 social workers have said that these are or not a problem, or it's a. this is a problem and this isn't a problem. We think that policy makers have to address this. And these would be local, this would be city level policymakers. And in the end, why are we doing this is because it'll give the human service workforce Uh, an opportunity to advocate for better jobs and services. Uh, Better jobs themselves, better services to their clients. And after all, better services to clients is why we're all in
2: this. Wonderful. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. And I hope we can hear from you again once you complete this study.
0: Oh, I'll definitely be happy to invite me back, and I'll come and talk some more about it. But thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, your questions, your interest. This has been really very enjoyable for me too.
2: Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Dr. Mimi Abramovitz discuss the effects of privatization on human services on in social work.
0: Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.